0: Can I have a permission to offend our minds tonight? Is that okay? I don't typically get too nervous about the material that, you know, we cover. Tonight I'm a little nervous. And here's the reason why, is that we, we look at our lives and we look at how we develop our relationship with God, and sometimes just out of good intentions we have, you know, the, all the best intentions to understand who God really is, but sometimes something gets lost in translation, and we believe things because we've heard them. Not because we know them, not because the Bible says but because we've heard them. And, and sometimes we don't know exactly what to say. Have you ever been in a position where you didn't know what to say and you said something totally stupid because you just went, went for it, you know? And I love the people who have been in my life to grow me spiritually, but there's been some people who didn't know what to say who just said dumb things. <laughs> and I, I think that I didn't realize how much sometimes we take for granted that we hear something or that somebody behind a microphone said something, we kind of latch onto it and we think that that that's what God is, but can we get real for one night? Can we get real about who God really is and who he isn't? Can we really kind of turn off our mind and and I'm gonna bring up things that maybe you're gonna disagree with, maybe you'll be offended, maybe you'll never come back. I don't know, but what I care about is that I love you too much not to give you the truth. And I will say that, what I'm going to cover tonight, I'm not talking from years of experience, I'm really talking about maybe I've I've had this truth and reached this kind of place in my life for maybe about a year. And it's, I'm ashamed of like the things that I'm finding, so th- this is kind of like the start of um, maybe a series, I don't know how long we'll do this, tonight's kind of like a test run and see. I've, I've got, does God want to take us through here and uh, to go deeper into this, but I just wanted us to go tonight and start with just that... We need to understand that God is the most misunderstood thing in the entire universe. His character is the most misunderstood, misrepresented thing in the entire world. The more I read the Bible, and then the more I listen to people who are Christians, the more I'm like, these things don't match up. This isn't the same God I know. Have you ever talked to somebody and they reference like a friend and they're saying terrible things and you're like, I actually thought he was pretty nice, you know? Like, and you're like, I'm not even thinking we're talking about the same person. And I keep feeling like I keep going over and over instances like this with God. And we as Christians profess that the Bible never contradicts itself, but we say things that contradict what the Bible says all the time when it comes to God. And we're living in a world now in in modern Christendom where we're saying to somebody that might have cancer that we say, well, God's ways are higher than our ways. When somebody loses a job, we say, well, it's all part of his plan. When people are going through suffering, we we make up something like, well, God maybe wants to teach you something. When people are being tempted, they say, God really wants to develop my character. And we sing songs, too, that God gives and takes away. Really? Like I didn't notice that. Like, that is completely wrong. These things are absurd. Right? We're gonna find out. (laughs) But these are like all of us are like, yeah, I've said those things. Like this is part of like the Christian vernacular and, and things that we kind of agree with, and these are things that all of us have believed, most of us have said, and many of us will still believe. But when you piece all these things together, you take all those components and you reconcile the word, what we find is that we have the most confused, temperamental, schizophrenic God that anybody could fathom and create. If we combined all these things, I'm sure God would have a personality disorder. It makes zero sense when you really think about it. And we say things that we've never even thought about questioning is that in the Bible? You know, like that doesn't seem to match up with this other verse. And I'm, I'm, it, the, the problem is real in America, the Billy Graham Association declared that Christianity is the leading religion in decline. The Barner group they are the group that studies all the metrics uh, phenomenal studies of just modern Christian like statistics and movements. they have basically said that fifty percent of regular Protestant churchgoers attendees are not born again, meaning that they do not believe that salvation hinges on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, or that Jesus was a real person who came and died. It's crazy. Like, we have to look at what's going on globally in the Christian faith in America here and say, like, man, these things can't be good signs. Why is that? And we live in a world, and I learned this from Christ's life, is that if a lie goes unchallenged, it becomes truth for us. A lie that goes unchallenged becomes truth to us and I think what we have here is we've accumulated all these things that have never been challenged. We've overheard things about God and believed them. We simply accept statements because so few Christians actually know the truth and lies will continue to exist as long as you and I sit silent and we just let them exist and if we do not question the lies then you and I become partners of the character assassination of God. It'd be no different from me hearing somebody make a total lie about you in front of somebody else and just being like, hmm, it's debatable. You know, <laughs> like, it's not debatable. The things we're gonna cover and the where I wanna go, they're not debatable. We have to choose, is God really who he says he is or is he this kind of like relative being that kinda does things here and then sometimes says other things and it's also confusing, but I think maybe one of the reasons that we're in this position is that most of us, we learn about the character of God from other people, right? We're young in our faith. We're hearing other people talk about their relationship with God. And so what we're doing instead of actually learning from the Bible and learning from our own personal experience, we're actually learning probably more from other people. Now that can be fine, except I don't know about you, but I have recognized this crazy trend that most of the Christians I meet, they would decline to acknowledge that they hear from God. That they do not interact with God. Not, I'm not talking about like audible voices, though that's cool. I don't have it that way. But that actually feel like they are communing with the eternal God in their life. It's, I mean, you guys are completely break the norm, right? But I would say so many people, they're just like... They, do, they look at you like you have three heads. You're like, what are you talking about? But these are the people that are propagating the ideas of God's personality. We are learning about God's personality from people who don't interact with God's personality. Anybody find trouble with that? <laughs> and so the more I learn from other people and the more I learn from myself and started hearing God's voice myself, the more I was like, these don't match up. And it's kind of like playing like the game of telephone, you know, where like you whisper in somebody's ear and it goes to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. You know, like I could say, Camille is a loving person, she's a veterinarian and she cures cats, right? Pretty generic. Well, if you take that through all these people, I bet out of like missing words and missing understandings, you could get to, Camille loves to kill cats and she's a veteran in the military. Like you could probably get that. (laughs) You know, well-intended, like they kind of got it, but kind of didn't get it. You know, we're missing a few critical verbs, you know, in there. But what I found is that as we develop in our faith is that we will begin to embody what we believe. And if we're embodying lies, then we will propagate lies and we will spread them unknowingly. There are so many well-intended people. I'm not trying to say that any of this stuff is intentional, quite the contrary. I think many of us, we have no idea we're doing it because it's all we've known, it's what we believe, it's what we've become. And I used to be that person, even here, standing before you, I would would say things and, and, and give you details in scripture from a broken place of actually not giving you what I believe is God's true character and I'm sorry for that. But maybe I'm the only person to admit that to you. I think most other people would rather just say, well, let's just not go back to those times. But many people have shown me God. Many people in this room have shown me what it looks like to be in communion with God. Becoming a father was the most crazy revelation about the father's heart towards me. It was radical. And then there's thought leaders and and one particular person, uh, Darren Hufford, who wrote a book called The God's Honest Truth, um, if you guys can pick that up, man, it's a great book. A lot of the stuff I'm talking about here, uh, he talks about too, and it's so powerful. But these things have helped shape who I now know God to be. And I've gone and looked in the scriptures because some things like you tonight offended me. I'm like, well, that's not true. And I'll go and look it up. It's like, wow, well, I guess we never really had support for that. And I would argue that we lie about God because we have been lied to about God. Amen. He is who he is, and he's never changing. But we've missed who he is. And the the challenge is that we've been lied about who he is, what he's like, what he wants from us, how he relates to us. We've been lied to about his heart for us. We've been lied to about his purpose for us, his desires for us, and most of all, his love for us. We don't know him any more than the Pharisees or religious teachers in the time the heart of god i would i would just not to be provocative but i think the heart of god is largely unknown by the majority of his people but you know we one of the things that we pick up in being a christian is we we learn the lingo right we learn the lingo is everything going great everything's going great brother you know <laughs> Is it working? Everything's working fine, you know? That's like the pressure is that you add Jesus and suddenly everything's supposed to go away and, and if something's not okay, right, what do you get? You get people who don't know the character of God who say, you know what, you need to get in the word more. If life isn't going right, you need to get in the word more or you have unconfessed sin. What is that? Isn't that an intimidating question? It's happened, I tell you what. How about, you need to spend more time in prayer. How about, you really should attend this other service we have. How about, are you tithing? Like, life's not going well, are you tithing? I'm not understanding the point you're trying to make here. And the one, the the, the biggest cop out in the world is just give it to God. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Someone's dying. I don't know. What do I do, (laughs) right? You're like, that doesn't make me feel any better. But it sounds like the right thing to say, don't we? When we say those things, like, yes. (laughs) But did you notice every single one of those responses, every one of them implies personal failure or lack of commitment. Every one of them implies personal failure or lack of commitment. And our problem is not a knowledge issue about God. It's a heart issue. We can change the behavior. We can go to every prayer service. We can tithe until we're broken in debt. We can go and spend hours in any service or any prayer room, and we can never get any closer to God's heart. And the problem Christians today is not the gap between them and a church. It's the gap between their heart and the Father's heart. And what's challenging about all this is that most of us, we all have our minds made up about God, right? We don't wake up like, I wonder if I've been thinking about God the wrong way. Like, We all, like it's just kinda of something we take for granted, we don't ever ponder on. And I would say that most of us, what makes up our mind about God is actually made up about lies. Most of what we believe about who God is is really lies and nobody has the, thank you. The guts, Well, man, I, like, there's another word that's supposed to fit there, to point it out. <laughs> Nobody has the guts to point out that maybe people in authority, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, people who are leaders, people who are behind microphones and say, I don't think that's how it works with God's heart. I don't think you did that, that justice about what you're trying to make. And the crutch that we kind of come back to is religion, Right? But religion makes it all the worse because religion tricks the urgent hearts of Christians to do something rather than be something. It's going to push you into doing something rather than let's find out what is going on with the heart of man and the heart of God together. And we have proof because the Pharisees, they knew every scripture forwards and backwards. They, I mean, they were the, the most religious people that anybody has ever seen. I mean, tithing 14 times a day, fasting for seven years. I mean, they, they, they took it to extremes. <laughs> All waiting upon the Messiah, right? And the Messiah stood in front of them and they couldn't even see him. They had no idea that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were the most knowledgeable about the Messiah. And simply reading the Bible won't make the matter better. Because you can read all you want, you can memorize all you want, and if you have incorrect perceptions about God's heart, you will interpret the word according to your incorrect perceptions. Yeah. Meaning that if you think God is angry, when you open the Bible, you will only hear angry sounds coming at you from the pages. If you think God is a drill sergeant, you will read the Bible and you will feel like there are all orders being barked at you. If you think God is disappointed, you will only feel more disappointed when you read his word. So you can do all of that that you want, but if your mind and heart is totally misperceiving God's character, you're only going to do yourself more harm because you're going to reinforce what you already are believing. We believe, what what we believe is going to control, is totally going to influence what we receive. And for many, the Bible becomes the greatest hindrance to people. Having an authentic relationship to God, is that they're now afraid of God's living word because it just reinforces all these lies that they believe. And the Barna study that shows that almost 90% of Christians rarely read their Bible. And when they do, it's like fulfilling an obligation. This is the, the, the master of the universe has written us a love letter. This is the Bible. Now, just to put this in other terms, if my wife wrote me a love letter, you guys could all stand in a line, and I'd push through all of you to get to it, right? Like, I would go through an army if my wife wrote me a love letter, is I would go to heaven and hell to get to it, and I'd read it over and over and over again. I'd read it thoroughly. I would hang on every detail. I'd look at her handwriting. Now, for a second, imagine if I had an accountability group that kept me honest about reading my wife's love letter, right? Or what if I had a mentor who checked in every day? Have you fully read your wife's love letter yet? I mean, this seems absurd, right? But is it not the same? Is it not the same, amen? And there has to be a reason that most of us don't read our Bibles. I would probably say a large part of us are not really in the word maybe because I think a lot of us are still carrying these lies. And that's okay but we've been lied to about God. The problem is that most Christians, I don't think really love God. And who could blame us? Let me explain. The God we've been fed all of our lives, I think with the lies that we carry, the God that we've been fed is not lovable. I believe that because of the lies we've been told about the heart of God, it is virtually impossible for us to truly love him. We've resorted to commitments. I'm a committed Christian, right? I am like committed to reading more, praying more. And and we make these kind of absurd things like we should be proud that we're not cheating on God. It's like, man, I would love to cheat on my wife, but I'm so committed to her. It's so hard not to cheat on her. You know, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Why do we need to be committed to God? Like it's committed to a life of, you know, I don't know what, something really boring and lame. But many Christians, they're committed to a God with a personality disorder. They're committed to a God who picks favorites, committed to a God who sends cancer and creates people just to die. It makes no sense. And the absurd thing about all of this I really think the truth is quite simple. But there's a simplicity to God's heart that is offensive to us. There's a simplicity to the truth of God that offends us. And so in in many ways, what I want to do kind of in this this vein, if we're going to go here, is to try and simplify things because we're overthinking it. Christians have a great, they do a great job of overthinking things, right? They overcomplicate things. They overspiritualize things. It's like, really? like Come on. Anybody like cats in here? Love cats. I love and hate cats. Cats are crazy. So you could take... Like a cat toy, like a ball, with like a feather on it, right? And you could stick it on the ground, and the cat's here, and the cat could go straight after it, but no, the cat has to go over here and get like behind the most difficult corner and like swipe at it, you know, and do this, and never reach it. It makes no sense. (laughs) Right? I mean, isn't that what we do? Like, I think God has made it plain, like, you know, I am who I am, love is what it is, and we get behind here and we're just making it so hard, and we're <laughs> trust me, you'll never look at a cat playing again the same. <laughs> but if the Bible is correct, and we all believe the Bible's correct, amen? Is that we know in 1 John 4 8 it says that God is love. Pretty straightforward. If there's a math equation, it'd be God equals love. It's you know pretty straight up. But if that's true, then we must be able to come to several conclusions about what love is and what it isn't. Love can only have one definition and it can never contradict itself. Love is what it is and that's all it is. Just like God said to Moses, I am who I am, love is what it is, amen? But the problem is that in our hearts, What we believe to be love is actually in many ways the opposite of who God is. Let me say that again. The problem is what we believe in our hearts for love to actually be is in many ways the opposite of who God really is. And what we don't know is that the belief in your heart about love itself is actually what you believe in your heart about God. Meaning what we believe love to be in this world, what we experience is what we believe God to be. Are you with me? And the problem in that is that the world's ideas of love are completely contradicted to what's written in Scripture. Yeah. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody knows this, this is read at every wedding. This is <laughs> one of the most overhyped verses, but it's the most misunderstood verse in all the Bible. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, if you went through math in high school, you knew that you could substitute variables, right? So in this passage, we know that God is love. And so therefore, we can learn everything about God's nature and his character through this passage, but do we really believe that love is these things? So let's, let's just like talk about what we think is love, right? And let's hold it up to these, these words. Love is patient. What? Love is patient? Come on. I was ready to marry Camille when I saw her. I was like, I don't need a date. I'm, I'm ready, you know? But the world has taught us that if we are in love, there's no reason to slow down. When we know we are in love, what is the use in waiting? We know. Our society has taught us that true love supersedes all patience. Some of you guys feel convicted, right? <laughs> love is kind. Is love kind, seriously? How many women, sorry ladies, pick mean men after mean men? I remember in high school, like, this girl was like, fawning over this guy who's the biggest jerk, and I was like, what is it with that? And it's like, yeah, if you just, you know, don't call girls back, you're kind of mean to them, they just think you're so hot. And it's like, it's amazing. Like, it, I saw it play out in so many relationships. So many guys are like, man, she just, she's not into me. I was like, well, what are you doing? And it's like, Well, you know, I call her or whatever. It's like, why don't you stop? And then all of a sudden she likes them, you know? Like, <laughs> it's crazy. But they're addicted to men who treat them bad, and then when they find the nice guy, they get bored right? Love is not self-seeking. Complete opposite of what we believe. We wouldn't date anybody if we didn't have something in for us. If you ask most people, why do you want to get married? They'll actually tell you things that they want for themselves. I want to have a family. I want to have kids. I want to, you know, whatever. And it's all about them, you know? And then when you ask why people get divorced, the number one reason is like, well, they weren't meeting my needs, Love is not self-seeking, really? <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrongs. We'll spend an entire night on that one if we want. <laughs> Love always trusts. We actually have equated trusting people with being stupid. Yeah. Right? When someone says they gotta take advantage, like, well, you're stupid, trust him. You don't trust people, like, they have to earn your trust, right? Love says it always trusts. That doesn't make sense. How about love always perseveres? In the church, you have 50% of marriages end up in divorce. Love always perseveres? Words like, it doesn't last forever or we just grew apart. I went to a wedding and it's like, as both as we both shall love. Not live, love. Really? That's kind of (laughs) lame. I was like, I choked on myself, I was like, it's crazy. (laughs) But the world has convinced us, right? I mean, am I not making sense here? The world has convinced us that love is the exact opposite of what is listed in the scripture. We even have that song that love hurts, you know, and we're all singing it when like we have a breakup, you know, we turn it up and (laughs) people are convicted, I see it. It's, it makes no sense. It's madness, amen? Now, think for a moment for the times when you were hurt by love in the past. Think right now, someone in your family, a romantic relationship, a friend. Most of us, we're gonna have like five or six examples. Some of it, we're like still mad right now about some of them, right? <laughs> I got a revelation for you. That wasn't love that hurt you. It wasn't love that hurt you. You were never hurt by love. You were never hurt by love. You were hurt by the opposite of love, but in your heart, you believed it to be love, which therein lies the first lie. You in your heart, when you accused love of hurting you, you actually bit the apple of the lie that love hurts. That love is manipulative. That love is self seeking. Make no mistake about it, love has never hurt you. You were hurt by deceptive and upside down definitions of love that you believed in your heart. Read through the passage again. Think of that, that time, like the instance that you were hurt. Which one of those hurt you? I can give you more time if you're still reading. (laughs) Right? Love never hurts you. I'm sorry if that pumps some of you out, but if we're going to redeem the character of God, we need to be able to say what love is and what isn't. And I'm telling you, love has never hurt you. People hurt us. But who in all of existence is the opposite of everything in that list? Man, i can't remember. Oh, yes, that's right. The Lord of Darkness. You know? <laughs> Crazy revelation, right? I told you that this is like simple stuff, right? And when we look at what we believe in the world's definition of love to be, what we say and what we do, we are essentially believing that God, who is the perfect love, has the character and personality of the devil. When we look at what we believe love is, we essentially are believing that God has the character and personality of the devil. When we take our expectations of love and project it upon the nature of God, we have something that resembles a lot more of Satan than it does of God. 9-11, I'm sure all you guys remember where you were at that spot. Isn't that the, the, the thing to ask, where were you at when 9-11 happened? <laughs> I won't say that, Lloyd well, I just did. But it was crazy, right? Like lives destroyed, buildings burning, buildings buildings collapsing, people jumping out of skyscrapers. I mean, it was awful, 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 awful. How many children are fatherless because of that tragic, tragic, tragic incident? And there were prominent Christian leaders who said that this was God sending judgment upon America. I'm sure it's probably not the first time for someone to suggest that AIDS was actually a punishment that God sent the plague in the form of AIDS to punish homosexuals. Are you kidding me? No wonder Christians don't want to read the Bible. If God is sending plagues and burning down buildings and creating orphans, who would want to read that? Who would want to read the book or be close to anybody like that? Who would want to spend time in prayer with someone like that? Who would want to talk to him? We truly believe that God has many of the personality traits of the devil. This is all disguised in something called fear of the Lord. We use fear of the Lord, right? Many Christians only do religious activity, maybe tithing, maybe coming to church, maybe praying because they are afraid of what will happen if they don't. I can't tell you how many religious activities are actually driven out of fear of a consequence that God is gonna come down and smite them. Or or worse yet is that all of a sudden someone falls away and and they get a little squirrely in their faith and, and so then they get involved to alleviate their guilt and shame. Christians, I believe you will see a spike in their church participation, their reading the Bible and their prayer almost exclusively around when they mess life up. Amen? They're afraid and fearful that what they just experienced is punishment from God. When something squirrely goes in life, aren't you like, God, I'm so sorry. You know, like, it's hard for us, I get it, it's hard for us not to give God this formula like something bad happened and we retrace like where we, we angered God or where we didn't or if I only would have done this, if I only would have prayed more, And we begin praying, but most of their prayers are, I'm sorry because I've encountered this hardship and trial, and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get God back in a good mood, right? (laughs) And they'll respond to their fear with religion, but religion has nothing to do with relationship with God. I love you guys, I'm glad you're here, but your attendance here has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Please come back. (laughs) but it doesn't. I'm just as happy for you if you're growing and thriving in God, whether you're here or you're not. That's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. But people were gonna respond by uh, this draw to do something rather than be something. And if someone has fallen away after struggling for a long time, let's say that even like their big injection of getting right in the Bible and praying and attending every church service after they mess their life up, if that doesn't work and maybe they, they totally fall off the map Christians say crazy things like, wow, well, God, you know, just really gave up on them. I thought love always perseveres. Like, where, where do we get this notion that God ever gives up on anybody? I believe God is like ransoming our heart, calling us for it. It says, I stand at the door and knock. Imagine this your entire life. I believe this is what God's doing our entire lives for those who are waiting to encounter him. it seems like almost every single word about love has been turned against God. So what is the answer? You know what's not the answer? What's not the answer is another service, another prayer meeting, another small group. What about power? We don't need power. Just because we've learned to access God's power doesn't mean that we know him any better because of it. The answer is not worship, even though we have a great worship team. Because many people have learned to worship with their head and leave their heart absent. You can't really worship something that you fear and you resent to love. The answer is not prayer. You can continue to pray, but you will only be spending more time with the one you are afraid of. We also don't need a revival. It's a funny word. Revival. It's kind of a buzzword. Anybody seem like it's odd that we have a religion that keeps dying on us? Just saying. Do you think God ever said, I'm gonna create a religion that dies every 30 years? It makes no sense. Maybe if we had a revelation of God's heart, we wouldn't have so much of this need for people to come awakening back to his heart. But when we say that we want revival, aren't we in the same word saying that our religion keeps dying on us? And if our religion keeps dying, something surely must be wrong. I think the, re- the reason that our religion keeps dying on us is because we have the total wrong idea who God is. And I don't blame people for that. And who wants to subscribe to a religion that can't maintain its own self, its own life? Revival's not the answer. We need a revelation of truth. We need to be, allow ourselves to be offended in these contexts. We need to be look in the mirror and say, wow, like I've believed a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense. That when you co- combine it together, it's a total mess. And we say, hey, we get to start over, and why don't we piece together the heart of God? And we start by seeking revelation of his truth, revelation of his nature. And we have an awakening to who he really is. We have the band come up. If we don't know God's heart and we don't get it right and we don't sort through the lies, it will be impossible to know his truth. Because what you think is truth is actually manipulation in disguise. It's actually a lie that you will propagate if you don't know the heart of God. And it is impossible to have intimacy with God while misunderstanding his heart. And through this series, like if we, if we turn this into a series, we're going to uncover contradictions in our belief system that we never even realized. And here are some of the outcomes and results that might happen from it is that many of us will discover that we believe in a God with a personality disorder, like I did. That made no sense. Many of us will discover that we didn't love God at all. You know what's the biggest revelation about being a father? Is that i got to spend several years loving my daughter before she loves me. She's my daughter, but she doesn't love me. And it's great because I love her and she will know my heart by my love for her. This past week, she learned to start kissing me. I think we're onto something. (laughs) But, you know, if there's an iPhone anywhere in the vicinity, she wants it more than me, you know? (laughs) But I'm okay with it. And I think it is okay for us to admit our fears of God, admitting that we really believe that there's a formula and that we have angered God and that he's a drill sergeant and his word is anger, and that he's judgment. And I think it's okay for us to say, I don't love that. Who could love that? And it's okay saying what you have thought that you've been trying to love actually isn't God at all. And I hope we get free from that. Many of us will discover lies that we've retold about God. Man, I was remembering—I uh, was on a missions trip in Mexico, and I was leading the worship. And um, for that trip, and then um, one morning we woke up, and a girl who's on the trip, she uh, she had her mother with with her on the trip, and her mother died in her sleep on the trip. So the leaders kind of got together, and you know, we decided to have a, a service kind of for her and, and worship. And it's crazy because the song that we picked was Blessed Be the Name of God. And it was like the same day that she died and we're sitting there and, and I'm singing, he gives and takes away. <laughs> and it felt so wrong. Like I almost need to like track her down and be like, that there could not have been a more damaging thing that all of us as a group could have shown you that God gives and takes away your mother. That God decided that morning that he took the life of your mother. Because he's a good God. Makes no sense. And so maybe this is creating all these other questions about well, what about these other things? And tonight, you know, I wanna keep us here for like nine weeks, so I just wanted to to alert that the building's on fire in our faith, right? (laughs) Sorry, ooh, terrible analogy. (laughs) This building's fine. No need to panic. But the building of our hearts, because we say that we're the temple of God, there's something desperately wrong. And so, if we pursue this, I want to uncover the attributes of God's heart individually in here. And each one's going to have a new revelation, and it's going to be terrific. I really believe it. But the next time we meet, which our next service is in two weeks. (laughs) Thank you, Jerome. The 13th is I would like to stay in this and I'd like to uncover what is God doing and what isn't he doing. Because I think that's the next step. Before we get into his heart and the attributes of his heart, it might be helpful for us to know where is God and where isn't he? How about things like this? Everything happens for a reason. Does it? How about God works in mysterious ways? Does he? It was all part of his plan. Really? There are no accidents with God. I've used that one. God is teaching me a lesson. God wants me to suffer. This one. It is impossible to be outside the will of God. Is it? And then my favorite, we could sing that song, is God gives and takes away. All of these, not in the Bible, actually contradictory to God's heart, some of them are kind of in the Bible, it's kind of like that telephone game where you wind up with something completely the opposite, making the exact opposite point it was intended to make. And so in two weeks, that's what I want to uncover for us. And we'll see where the Lord will lead us after that. But if you stick with me, our mission is to really awaken to who God really is. I've been feeling like I wanted just to go as a community into this. And until this week and kind of this season, I didn't feel as ready. And so I'm I'm excited because for the first time, it, like, it feels like you walk out of a, a trapped room and you finally experience fresh air and I want us to really know the heart of God and I'm excited that we get to do this together. I love you guys.